If you have a, a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 9. And as you do that, I'll invite you to stand with me for the reading of the gospel tonight. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, starting in verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that, so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them. And said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a seat, everyone. Get comfy. Well, if I haven't already met you, my name is Jeff Schroeder. I'm a young leader here at VIA, training towards a diaconate, and I don't preach often, but so whenever I, I do, I feel that excitement, but also, also completely terrified. Uh, so please pray for me <clears throat> as, I, as I do. But truth, truth be told, I love uh, continuing to learn, to teach and preach, and it's, it's a real honor to speak tonight on this, the last Sunday of Lent, actually. We're heading now, we've made it to the last week of Lent, if you can believe it. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and then we begin Holy Week. And um, I've titled my message tonight, actually, just got to go back a few slides there. I've titled my message tonight, The Rock Bottom Gospel. And um, the, just a brief context to our passage Jesus has now made his way into Jerusalem, and the Jewish leaders, or the tenants of the vineyard, if you will, have confronted Jesus to question his authority. They've asked Jesus, just previous to our passage, by what authority are you doing these things, and who is it that gave you that authority? Which Really, the questions that they're asking really reveal the hardness of their heart right off the bat. I mean, just consider for a moment. Imagine witnessing the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus right before your eyes, healing the sick, 
multiplying the bread, you know, raising the dead. And then the question that you come up with is, who gave you the authority to do that? Who do you think you are, you know? So right off the bat, you're thinking, okay, this is revealing the hardness of heart that these Jewish leaders have. So in response, Jesus tells these leaders an allegorical parable that confronts this a history of hardness of heart and then caps it off with a powerful declaration of his divine authority as the cornerstone, which we'll take a look at further. And as his allegory tells, in just a short time, even though God had been patient and graciously sent them the prophets, his messengers, again and again and again, they will, do, they will soon do the unspeakable. They will throw the blessed Son of God out of the city, out of the vineyard, and kill him. The vineyard that the Lord himself had planted. He would be cast aside, brutally beaten, and crucified outside of the city. If there ever was a rock bottom for Jesus, it would be that day. Literally, the sun itself would go dark. So today, we're, we're not going to tackle this whole passage, but we're going to focus our, our attention on verses 16 to 18. So we'll kind of just sit in that chunk if you have that out in front of you. Um, but we'll pick it up in verse 15, and then we'll kind of sit in those last three verses. Verse 15 says, And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. This, of course, foreshadowing the cross just a week away. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Statement of, of judgment, really, from Jesus. W realizing just how many times his people had rejected him, there actually came a point where he's like, the ship has sailed. Like, this is it. Um, and so he will come and destroy those tenants. And when they heard this, they said, Surely not. Surely not. An amazing, amazing phrase. Jesus has just essentially read their mail. He's, he's recounted this history, actually not just their personal history, but the entire history of Israel, where again and again and again he sent the prophets to his people to try to turn their hearts back to him. And again and again and again, we all know the, the, the story well. They rejected God again and again. No matter how many times he sent the prophets, his people continued to reject him. And so these, these leaders, when Jesus pronounced this judgment, are, their response is not humility. Their response is not uh, a brokenness of heart, a brokenness of spirit. They, they actually come into this place of denial. Surely not. They put up their walls right away. Surely not. They're in denial. They're in disbelief. There's a blindness in their, in their eyes. And um, I guess maybe as a younger man reading a passage like this, I might maybe read myself into the story in a more favorable way, just kind of like, oh, man, Jesus is going to get these Pharisees. Like, oh, man, he's really going to give it to them. I'm with him. I'm with Jesus here, you know. Um, but <laughs> as an older man, as I, as I get a little bit older and as I've um, 
had good mentors and, and teachers and spiritual directors to help me see. I actually feel like I need to read myself into the place of the Pharisee a lot more often. Um, so I, I, I would actually invite us to kind of put ourselves in their, in their place tonight and consider if the Lord might have a message for us as we see what their heart's response is. Because when I'm, if I'm honest, how many times has Christ come to me and repeatedly wanted to mention and kind of look at something in my life. And even if I wouldn't say it with my mouth, in my heart I would be saying, surely not. Surely not that area. And so the Pharisees, we have to see them as us, actually. Moving on to verse 17. So when they heard this, they said, surely not. Verse 17, but he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is, that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So what's Jesus doing here? Well, he's, he's quoting from a psalm, Psalm 118, and he's essentially anchoring his authority. He's answering their question, by what authority are you doing these things? He anchors his authority in the scriptures themselves. And notice what he's doing. He's saying, when the psalmist penned these words way back in when Psalm 118 was written, doesn't say who wrote it, when that psalmist was penning that psalm in flesh, by the Spirit, it was speaking of me. That's what Jesus is saying. And so here we have Jesus. Notice his hermeneutic here. He is completely confident when he looks to the Old Testament. This is a good Jewish kid. He'd been reading the, the, the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets his whole life. And when he did, he saw himself, and he's establishing his authority on the scriptures that he actually authored himself. And these Pharisees that looked at the scriptures and poured over the scriptures, he would say, these are the actual scriptures that testify about me. I'm standing right in front of you. And so when we see the, uh, the writers of the New Testament pull scriptures out of the Old Testament that we never would have thought as pointing to Jesus, like, wow, how, are, how did they find that there? Or when we read the church fathers pulling from the Old Testament, why do you think they did that? It's because that's how Jesus taught them how to read the scriptures. All the scriptures testify about me. We'll have to put a pin in that for another time. But I just, it just had to be mentioned. And what he's doing, besides establishing his authority, is he's speaking about, he's revealing something of his identity too. He's saying, I am the stone, the stone that the builders rejected, the stone that you yourselves as Jewish leaders, you are rejecting me right now. I am that stone that has become the cornerstone. The solid ground. I am rock bottom. And you can trace this figure, the stone or the rock, all the way through the scriptures. And, and as you do, just think about Christ. Meditate on that, the rock, that Jesus is that solid ground, that rock bottom. So that's verse 17. Moving on to verse 18. Jesus continues and he says, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. To me, it feels like in this passage, and this is a very famous phrase um, 
that we've heard. I think even as a charismatic, I feel like this is like a super like popular like, you know, verse that you hear, um, whether in songs or, or whatnot. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So this idea of brokenness, it feels to me that in this text, there are perhaps two contrasting kinds of brokenness that are being um, kind of explained and, and pointed out. And Jesus here is also kind of pulling on the Old Testament. He's actually drawing in some imagery from the book of Isaiah, the book of Daniel. And in the, in the literal sense of the scripture here, as Jesus stands before the Pharisees, it feels like there's one kind of brokenness being described. It, it doesn't seem to me, as you study it, as, as you look at commentaries and as you consult scholars, it doesn't seem like a fall on the rock and be broken, yay, or be crushed, oh no. It's actually like fall on the rock, oh no, and be crushed by it, oh no. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, so it's actually like it's, it's a repetitive rejection of Christ that causes like an extreme stumbling or falling, like almost like you've fallen and you've broken every bone in your body, like that, that kind of fall on the rock and be broken, like, like an irreparable, devastating judgment of brokenness that leaves you crushed. Um, to me, this seems like almost like an irreparable brokenness. Um, It's basically saying, Jesus is confronting these Jews and saying, essentially, I have come to you again and again and again. Now the ship has actually sailed. I'm actually giving the vineyard to others. Speaking of the Gentiles, of course. So in the literal sense of the text, it feels like Jesus is speaking to that kind of brokenness, a rejection of Christ that causes an extreme falling, being crushed. Um. But as we know, um, the early church, uh, the authors of Scripture, they knew that because the Scriptures are a spirit-breathed book, not just penned by men, but infused with the Spirit, the Scriptures themselves are actually capable of housing multiple senses of meaning, uh, not just in a literal sense. So the early church, and certainly the church fathers, you could go through any of them, Irenaeus, Origen, St. Augustine, Maximus, Gregory, you name it, they would all say there's also a spiritual sense that you can read from the scriptures, so long as you do justice to the literal sense as well. And so I would propose to us tonight that there, in the spiritual sense, this passage is calling us to reflect on a brokenness of another kind as well. A kingdom brokenness. It is, I would say, I would describe it as a falling on Christ with every ounce of our being. Trusting that everything he does in us there will be unto greater fruitfulness. I'll say that one more time. It's a falling on Christ with every ounce of our being, like our full weight. Trusting that everything he does in us there will be unto unto greater fruitfulness. I think King David probably said it best when we're talking about this kind of brokenness. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It's really the heart of Lent. So Christ calls us 
I believe in this passage, and I believe he's calling us as a church tonight. He's calling us in this as we enter this last week of Lent to fall on the stone. To truly embrace the gospel, I believe we must, in a sense, hit rock bottom. We have to fall on Christ with every ounce of our being. But it's not a falling and a brokenness that leaves us destitute. Like in, like in a, like the cultural idiom that we use, like I've hit rock bottom, you know, it's just like this hopeless place. Like I'm never going to get out of here. I, I'm the end of my rope. It's not that kind of place that Jesus is calling us to. No, no, no. It's not a, it's not a brokenness that leaves us destitute. It's in a way, we fall on Christ in a way that brings the fullness of our need to the feet of the one who can heal us and set us right. Yeah? So the invitation of Christ tonight is to fall on him and be broken, to hit rock bottom. And because of the goodness of the gospel, what we find there is a wellspring of life flowing from the rock of ages. When we fall on Christ, when we fall on this stone, it is a brokenness that sets us right, that reconciles us to God and to others. It is a brokenness that redeems. It's a brokenness that heals. It's a, broken, it's a brokenness that ultimately nurtures deeper union with Christ. Chad, just love what Chad said when he opened up in worship tonight, that place of desperation and hunger. When we allow ourselves to come to that place in the land of like hitting that place of falling on the rock, it actually nurtures the, the, the very thing that our hearts hunger for the most in the, in the deepest parts of our being. Union with Christ as we are conformed into his image. And Lent... <laughs> Lent has this uncanny way of helping us hit rock bottom. Yeah? Anyone? Because we need the help, actually. Some of my default settings are not really geared towards allowing God that level of access to the places that really need, like, some transformation, some repentance, some new life. But Lent has this uncanny way of helping us hit rock bottom, but in the best way possible. Consider it a grace. It helps us to stop hiding. It helps us to stop justifying. It helps us to stop deflecting from. It helps us to stop minimizing our sin. Anyone else besides me felt that? <laughs> Some of my default settings, you know? Because in order to receive the goodness of the gospel, we must have our eyes open to our need of it. How many times has Chad encouraged us in that way? The gospel only works if we can receive it. I hope he never stops <laughs> reminding us of that. And not, I'm not talking about just the need that we had for it at some point. I'm talking about the need that I have for it right now, but maybe I, I just can't quite see it, but I actually need help to have my eyes opened to my need for it. The need he's trying to show me, the need he's trying to show us.
It's his kindness that draws us to repentance. So uh, for those of you who are familiar with this painting behind me, you probably have already guessed that I'm going to be drawing on St. Augustine to help illustrate what I mean about this, this place of rock bottom. Um, for those of you who don't know St. Augustine, he is, I would say most scholars would say he's probably the most important voice theologically in the Western church. Um, the book his, of his confessions, if you haven't read the confessions, let me implore you, <laughs> please buy it and read it. It is literally one of the greatest Christian works to ever be written. It's essential Christian reading, I would call it. And if you have a Kindle, or if you have an iPad with a Kindle app, I just checked yesterday, $10. So there you go. Everyone's got 10 bucks. Two Starbucks beverages. Um, if, if you do, I highly recommend Maria Boulding's translation. Uh, it's, it's the best one. It's very lively, really brings it to life. Um, but St. Augustine, in his confessions, he documents his life uh, as he struggles with sin at, through his childhood and his youth, and he documents all these moments where, where the Lord is trying to get a hold of him, and he's, he's pushing against him, and he feels drawn to the Lord, but he pushes against, and he, he kind of gets tied up in, in addiction again, and, and it's this very vulnerable, very intimate uh, very wear your heart on your sleeve kind of book. You know, I call, I call St. Augustine the, the patron saint of the restless heart. You know, he's just that really vulnerable. And you almost have to kind of check yourself and be like, this is a bishop writing this? Like, this is like really vulnerable. You know, he's writing it like when he's a bishop. And so he goes through, he kind of documents his whole life story of his wrestle, kind of resisting God and, and, and falling into sin. And he kind of, it kind of all climaxes in book, in, in book eight. And uh, so I'm going to read an excerpt from this. And this is right at the point where he really is starting to hit rock bottom. And it feels like the, the Holy Spirit, the conviction of God is like heavy upon him. And all the sin of his youth and the things that have where he's realized these things have not served me. I'm actually like a prisoner to these things. He's realizing the weight and the power of sin that is crushing him. And, he's, and then he's just pouring out his heart. And so here we see uh, St. Augustine uh, underneath the fig tree. And it, we pick up our reading right there. This is in book 8 and uh, paragraph 28. He writes this. But as this deep meditation dredged all my wretchedness up from the secret profundity of my being and heaped it all together before the eyes of my heart, a huge storm blew up within me and brought on a heavy rain of tears. In order to pour them out unchecked with the sobs that accompanied them, I arose and left, for solitude seemed to be more suitable for the business of weeping. I like that phrase. <laughs> I flung myself down somehow under a fig tree and gave free rein to the tears that burst from my eyes like rivers as an, as an acceptable sacrifice to you. Many things I had to say to you, and the gist of them, though not the precise words, was, O oh Lord, how long? How long? 
Will you be angry forever? Do not remember our age-old sins. He's quoting, of course, from scriptures. For by these I was conscious of being held prisoner. I uttered cries of misery. Why must I go on saying, tomorrow, tomorrow, why not now? Why not put an end to my depravity this very hour? I couldn't help but remember that passage in, in, this, in this book when I was thinking about this fall on the rock and be broken. And just Augustine is just showing us the way. He's showing us the way of how to do that. And just love that. Why must I go on saying tomorrow, tomorrow? Why not now? Why not put an end to my depravity this very hour? That sense of delay that we saw in the Pharisees, right? Rejecting him again and again and again. And as, as the book continues, it just wonderfully explains his conversion, the process of him coming to repentance and, uh, and his subsequent baptism, of course, by St. Ambrose, um, which is well-documented. But here, for sure, we see St. Augustine hitting rock bottom. But what he found when he did was the great mercy of Jesus. And his heart burned. And he came alive. It's because when he hit rock bottom, he looked to Jesus the one who hit rock bottom for our sake, the one who was brought lower than anyone in history. Consider again tonight the brokenness of Christ, for he fell. He fell on the stones of the Via Dolorosa as he bled out. He fell upon the wooden cross beam there on the stone of Golgotha. And as he was laid on the cold stone of Joseph's tomb, the Son of God embodied a kind of brokenness that he calls each of us to imitate. Because every ounce of Christ's being fell into the hands of the Father, whose will he lived to do. He prayed in the garden, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Because Christ was brought low, he rose and ascended. And that's a promise for you and I. Brothers, sisters, fall on the rock in these final days of Lent, and you will rise and ascend. That together we might be a fruitful vineyard here in this place. Kind of turn to, to closing and, and um, maybe a short time of prayer together. I just wanted to commend a practice to you um, in this final week of Lent. Uh, I don't know if we, how you feel about Lent. Some, some years I just feel like, well, that didn't really go the way I drew it up. <laughs> um, you know, you try to like, like succeed at Lent, you know. <laughs> um, but there's grace. We don't have to sit like ace, like at an A plus on going through Lent. But let me just say that we have a week left of Lent. Let's use it. Let's go to the places that the Lord 
is drawing us to go to and, and, and find mercy there and find him there. And I wanted to commend to you a practice that I've been slowly <laughs> working my way through um, during Lent, and it will, I'll be continuing that this week. And, and that is, uh, there's a beautiful litany uh, in the Ash Wednesday liturgy. If you've never been to an Ash Wednesday liturgy, you can I can email this to you, or maybe you can look it up in the, in the Book of Common Prayer, actually. It's, it's there in the, in the liturgy. Uh, but it goes, it's a very thorough, uh, guided, guided prayer of repentance. And it just, <laughs> sometimes you just need words to, like, recognize all the different areas of your life. <laughs> Uh, and it really does a good job of just exploring, here's this area of my life, Lord have mercy. Here's this area. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. Oh no. Here's this area, you know. And it just kind of goes through and just graciously leads you through a, a process of repentance. Let me commend that practice to you this week um, to slowly walk that through. Because um, like Chad said, if you want to drink deep of resurrection life come Easter, Get low, fall on the rock. So I wanted to commend that practice to you this week if it's something that you're looking to, um, if, there, if, there, if you're kind of searching for something to deepen these last days to really maximize sort of the week that we have. Um, but in closing, I wanted to leave you with this question, and maybe we can spend just a couple quiet minutes here uh, just reflecting and just asking the Holy Spirit to search us. Is there an area of your life that God has been wanting to look at together, but something inside of you has been saying, surely not? Is there an area of your life, and maybe you can even now take a posture of prayer as we, as we begin to turn our attention to the table and have a time of confession. Is there an area of your life that God has been wanting to look at together? But something inside of you has been saying, surely not. And my prayer for myself and, and for all of us is that we would be able to move from this place of surely, this place of surely not to, Lord, show me. Help me. Help me see. I can't see, actually. Like, like the Pharisees, I actually have some blindness. I can't see. Help me move from surely not to, Lord, show me. So just spend a couple moments. My default settings are probably more about justifying my behavior than, than they are about just hearing the Lord. How many times has Maria come graciously to me to try to put her finger on something that hasn't been sitting right, but my response has been more to justify myself? Like, Lord, have mercy. Like, Lord, help me. But it is a, a timeless kingdom truth that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble When King, when King David was confronted by the prophet Gad about his sin, his response was, 
I am in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. Holy Spirit, just move in us tonight. And I just, and just by way of reminder, you are not qualified to convict yourself. The Holy Spirit is, is the only one qualified to do that. You're not qualified to clear yourself. Only, only Jesus can do that. I either will minimize my sin or I'll condemn myself too harshly most of the time, one of the two extremes. But the Holy Spirit really just finds that sweet spot. And he's like, yeah, I actually just want to, I want to look at this. Can we look at that? And so just yield to that process, whatever that looks like for you, just yield to that tonight and allow the Lord that access. He wants to set you right. He wants to bring you into fruitfulness. Just invite, I'll just invite Chad and, and the band to, to come up. Lord, we ask that you would, by your mercy and by your kindness, help us to walk in repentance that we might rise with you and ascend. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.